In Joyful Procession Written and read by Paul Fox The light of a midwinter day was rapidly waning as Taro approached the last rise in the path before its descent into the village. The bundle of firewood weighed heavily on the boy's shoulders, and he was sweating despite the increasing chill of the evening. His wooden clogs crunched in the snow as he pushed himself up the hill, eager to get home to a warm hearth, a hot bath, and a bowl of steaming barley soup. Both the firewood and the soup would be welcome, for that winter of 1597 was an unusually cold one, and the snow had come earlier and lay deeper in those mountain passes of southern Japan than any Taro could remember. Even his mother and grandmother had seen few winters such as this one. Abruptly, several figures appeared at the top of the hill before Taro, and he stopped so suddenly that he almost fell, propelled by the weight of his burden. He watched, open-mouthed, as a long and outlandish procession topped the crest and approached him. In the lead were common soldiers, rough-looking men carrying spears and swords, clad in improvised armor made of quilted cloth shingled over with squares of leather. A few of them, probably officers, wore suits of true metal armor, but even these were of poor quality and badly in need of cleaning and repair. Between the first few soldiers marched a figure so grotesque that Taro could almost believe it to be a demon. The man was tall, for one thing, towering over the guards on either side. He was also extraordinarily thin, with his skin stretched tightly over the bones of his face. The gangling figure's nose jutted hugely outward, like the beak of some fierce bird of prey. Two eyes the color of the pale winter sky glittered brightly under shaggy brows. The eyebrows, like the man's thatch of hair and bushy beard, were of a grayish-yellow hue, like rotting straw. Behind this fearsome presence marched five more nightmarish figures, each accompanied by two soldiers. Not all of them shared the first man's unearthly coloring. Several had black hair, like normal people, but their hair was curly, like shavings from a carpenter's plane. One of the creatures was short and stocky, and his skin was very dark. All of them wore rags, rags that had once been some sort of brown robe, cinched at the waist by a length of rope. For the most part, the men had bare feet, and their toes were bluish black against the white snow. As the head of this procession drew near to the spot where Taro stood motionless, Still more figures continued to appear on the path at the crest of the hill. Prisoners in groups of two or three, with a single soldier guarding each group. These prisoners, too, all wore tattered brown robes. Or so Taro thought, 
until a group of three men clad in black rags appeared. And later, two men wearing the tattered remnants of quite ordinary kimonos. This last group of prisoners, despite their alien clothing, were clearly Japanese. Some had the fine features of aristocrats, others the weather-beaten faces of peasants. One of the prisoners was very old, judging by his wrinkled brow and long white beard. Despite his age, the old man marched sturdily along, supporting, half-carrying would be closer to the truth, a much younger man, a mere lad, really, who appeared to be at the end of his strength. Taro could contain his curiosity no longer. Carefully scanning the faces of the passing soldiers, he approached one whose features seemed less ferocious than the others. With a polite bow, Taro asked, Who are these prisoners, Lord? The soldier was one of the older members of the company with a scarred cheek and a grizzled beard. More amused than flattered by the exalted title Taro had bestowed upon him, he stopped to answer. These southern barbarians, he said, gesturing toward the six prisoners in the lead, are all spies from the Philippines. They came here to destroy the gods of the Yamato lands. Why would they want to do such a thing? asked Taro. I can't say that I really understand it myself, the soldier replied. But the way they explained it to me is this. Once our own kami were out of the way, there'd be no gods left to protect us from the king of Spain, who is very powerful and wants to make slaves of us, just as he did to the people of Mexico or, or some such place. Taro, who had never traveled more than five miles from his own village, struggled to comprehend what the soldier was saying. Philippines? Spain? Mexico? Where were these strange-sounding places? Who was this powerful and wicked king of Spain? How had he overthrown the gods of Mexico? Perhaps Taro's notion that the strange-looking prisoners were demons was not so very wrong after all. The soldier made to move on, but Taro's curiosity was far from satisfied. He turned away from his village and walked alongside the soldier. What about these others? Taro asked, nodding toward the Japanese prisoners. Are they also spies? The soldier halted again, glanced at the approaching column, and spat. They are fools, he exclaimed vehemently. They have rejected the gods of their fathers. They call themselves Christians and worship the god of these foreign spies. He spat again, warming to his subject. Deus, they call him. Deuso would be more like it, the big lie. They claim this god made everything out of nothing. So what was he made of, I'd like to know. They say the first people were tricked by a snake and became bad, and that their god sent his own son, called Cristo, to be executed like a criminal. 
to save all the people from burning in fire forever. They say everyone who worships this god will go to a place called Paradise and be happy forever. I tell you, there's no end to the nonsense they talk about. Once again, the old soldier began to march off. This time, Taro did not follow, but he called after him. But where are you taking them? What's to be done with them? We're taking them down to Nagasaki, returned the soldier. There's a whole nest of these Christians down there. The Taiko has ordered this lot to be crucified there, just like this Christo they worship, as a warning to all Japanese to stay away from foreign gods. The soldier marched on a few more paces, then flung a final word over his shoulder. And these fools are happy about it, he shouted angrily, and he marched off without another word. Taro remained standing by the side of the road, studying the faces of the Japanese prisoners carefully, seeking a clue to the mystery of their madness in consorting with spies and demons and crucified foreign gods. But their faces seemed quite ordinary. Indeed, compared with the scowling soldiers leading them onward, the prisoners appeared to be decent folk. Some of them even took notice of Taro and nodded a greeting to him as they passed. Then he heard a new voice, a young voice calling from somewhere near the end of the procession. Turning to look, Taro saw a boy dressed in the brown rags running alongside the column of marchers, stopping briefly to talk with each small knot of prisoners. The guards took no notice of this irregularity. Some of them even smiled at the boy as he approached. When the boy was close enough for Taro to take a good look at him, he could see that the newcomer was about his own age, 12 years old, certainly no more than 13. Like all the prisoners, the boy was emaciated, but his broad shoulders and his manner of moving suggested a much sturdier frame. The boy almost danced as he moved along the procession, and he talked with a cheerful animation. The movement of his head swung his uncut hair, and Taro was horrified to catch a glimpse of an ugly stump where the boy's left ear had been hacked off, the mark of a branded felon. Come, brothers, the boy was saying. Since it's almost dark, we must be stopping soon. Let's finish our day's march with a song, the new song that Brother Bonaventure has written for us. The dark-skinned spy turned around at the sound of the boy's voice and opened his mouth. To Taru's astonishment, the creature actually spoke human language, like any Japanese, though with a peculiar accent. Little Ludovico, the dark one called out, what would we do without you? When we are ready to drop from exhaustion, you come and cheer us up with songs. Ludovico, thought Taro to himself. What a strange name. Is he a foreign spy, after all? But he shook his head at the thought. Strange though the name might be, the boy was clearly as Japanese as Taro. As if he had heard Taro's thoughts, the boy turned 
and looked directly at him, smiled, bowed slightly, and said, Kombanwa, good evening. And then, very strangely, he added, Peace be with you. Taro looked down in confusion, not knowing how to reply. But the boy, Ludovico, had already moved on. Now Taro heard the boy's high, clear voice break into song. The tune sounded vaguely familiar, like a folk song from Taro's own village. But the words were so strange that they remained etched on Taro's memory forever. In joyful procession before the world, we march to Calvary, where Jesus our Master has gone before and died on the holy tree. Come, let us embrace the cross of Christ, the cross that awaits us there. Lord Jesus walks with us each step of the way, and his is the cross we bear. The other Japanese captives took up the song, and so did the dark-skinned foreigner. As they did so, their backs straightened, and their steps, if not exactly quickened, seemed somehow less heavy. The five other barbarians, though they did not join in the song, also marched more briskly, and the smiles on their faces made them look almost human, which Taro found somehow disturbing. Even the soldiers marched along with a lighter step. Taro remained rooted to the spot as the procession moved past him in the fading light. As the last of the marchers disappeared from view, the song changed. Taro could hear, drifting towards him, words and music that were utterly alien, yet utterly captivating. Laudate pueri dominum, he heard, without knowing what he heard. Laudate nomen domini. Then they passed out of sight. The sound of their singing faded into silence, and they were gone. Taro stood there in the deepening gloom. In his mind echoed the strange song he had heard. In joyful procession through the world, we march to Calvary. As he struggled to understand all that he had seen and heard, his eyes fixed upon one thing, the impression of a small, bare foot in the snow in front of him, and in that footprint, a splash of bright blood. Used by We Are One Body Audio Theater, with the permission of the licensor, granted under a copyrighted license agreement. A production of We Are One Body Audio Theater.